Hello, and welcome back to Drag Time with Hecklina. I'm so glad you decided to tune in today. Uh, we have somebody that I'm very excited to talk to, somebody I'm a huge fan of. But first, uh, if you like what you hear, please hit us up on Venmo or Cash App, where we are found as Drag Time, or visit our website, dragtimewithhecklina.com, for other ways to support us now. Uh, the guest we have today is a writer, a jokesmith, an actor of stage and screen. Uh, he's written for countless presentations at the Academy Awards, the Tony Awards, the Comic Relief, the Grammys. Uh, many of you listening know him from his contributions to Bette Midler's shows, Clams on the Half Shell, which was her Broadway show, and uh, he also co-wrote Divine Madness. He has been a recurring guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race and recently appeared as a guest judge in the Vivian Takes on Hollywood show. Uh, <laughs> I did a, uh, a comedy roast with him last year when we were still allowed to be on stages, and I actually was a... Uh, Oh, God, Grand Marshal. I was a Grand Marshal of the Gay Pride Parade along with him back in 2002. Anyway, uh, I'm so thrilled. Please give it up for Bruce Falanch. Hi, Bruce. Hi. Wow, I'm impressed. How are you? I know. I I love it. I would do me. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea. I know I'm the EGOT of award show writers, but uh, uh, when all the rest of it is tallied up. God, it is impressive. It is very impressive. And, you know, um, I was thinking about it today. I I was such a huge fan of Bette Midler when I was at, when I was like 10 and 11 and still my parents had no clue. Like they still could not, <laughs> they still couldn't guess. Like they didn't I, know. They, I, gave, I gave them, yeah, I gave them every single hint possible. Were they fans of Bette Midler? No, uh, no, they, they, they're like, they didn't get why their little son was not into, you know, sports or whatever. And just was played, <laughs> played, uh, played the divine Miss M over and over again. <laughs> just one of many clues. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, uh, I'm not going to bore you by asking you to, to give us a reminiscence about Bette Midler, but, um, have you spoken to Bette recently? Oh, I talk to her all the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've been working together for 50 years, which mm-hmm. is, Difficult because she's only 38. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I'm contractually <laughs> obligated to make that observation. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. Yeah, you know, she's she's been on, she's managed to get more done on quarantine. I call her Quarantina Turner. I love it. She has she has not stopped working. I mean, we did two big uh, benefits for the, her charity, the New York Restoration Project, virtual, uh-huh. and then she did, she did the monologues for HBO Coastal Elites, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, she did. She she pulled off something. She's done. She's been around a lot, considering she hasn't gone out of the house uh, since since March twelfth. <laughs> true or false? Can, can I ask you this? This rumor, true or false? She was. She wanted a name for her uh, Las Vegas show, and you suggested Oi Vegas. Yes, but, I it, did. but it was. But it was dismissed as being a bit too Jewish. Too Jewish. Just you know, like <laughs> just like she was. We had a running joke about that among, just amongst ourselves. Um, she was on Broadway in Fiddler on the Roof playing uh-huh. uh, the oldest daughter, Seitel, uh-huh. and, uh, for, uh, for two or three years. And when they, uh, when they started casting the movie, she went up for it, and they told her she was too Jewish for Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, no. <laughs> and it just, when you look at the movie, they went over to uh, shoot it in what was then Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, I mean, they, they had a lot of uh, uh, Gentile kind of looking people in it. And I guess they just, I don't know, they, they wanted a certain type of girl. They cast in the part 
looked just like Barbara Streisand. So I said, you know, don't, don't worry about that. We'll see what happens to her. And, That's and, I, I I never realized that they actually de-Jewed the movie version of Fiddler on the Roof. They they wanted well, to make it Norman more, Norman yeah. Jewison, who was of oh. course not Jewish, directed mm-hmm. it. And the first thing he said was, "They're going to uh, they're going to kill me because I'm not Jewish." And mm-hmm. he he wanted it to be uh, I don't know. He wanted it to be to look like Europe at the, okay. at the you know at the turn of the of the last century and. Uh, I, you know, I mean, it may have been a, just a way of saying they didn't want her because she was like too stagey or I don't know what they would have wanted. Mm-hmm. She had no film experience at that mm-hmm. point. Right, right. But we, we laughed all together. And then the guy who cast it was kind of a legendary um, uh, casting director, Lynn Stallmaster. And they gave him an honorary Oscar and she presented it. <laughs> oh, wow. And she, said, I'm, and she told the story and she said, uh-huh. I'm I'm giving this to you in spite of what you've done to me. Oh, I love that <laughs> how story. You, how you stood in my way. <laughs> well. He also, you know, he cast her in The Rose. I mean, it was that, she was his idea for The Rose. So. Oh, my God. Another thing where my, my mother took me to see The Rose and I came out and I was crying and played The Rose soundtrack for a whole year and still no clue. Anyway, I guess Bette Midler's been with me for a very long time. You know, what's interesting is when she, she didn't work for 10 years live because she was being a movie star. Mm-hmm. And then we took out a tour called Experience the Divine. And the audiences were, were right down the middle. Half of them were people who had been with her from the beginning and seen everything she'd ever done. And the other half were people who had discovered her as a movie star mm-hmm. who sang big power ballads like Wind Beneath My Wings and From sure, the Distance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they wondered who this, who this, who was this trashy woman on stage? Exactly. <laughs> You know, in their mind, she was a big Hollywood movie star with this big sentimental streak. Sure. And, of course, you know, she's always done the balancing. But uh, it was interesting to see how she hadn't changed it, but the audience had changed. Right, right. Anyway. I think I think by the time I saw her, I didn't see her until a couple of years ago. And, and by then, you know, she she was done with all of the Dolores DeLago uh, stuff, you know, and everything. Uh, well, the last tour, we, we killed her off because yeah. it, was, it was too physically. The only time she's ever lip synced. Uh-huh. Uh, on, on stage was during Dolores because it's impossible to hop around in a mermaid tail and sing. Sure, and, sure, and sound like anything. So that was the only <laughs> the only time she was she was on pre record mm-hmm. because she's you know she's one of those who says I do it live. Yeah, yeah, no, well, uh, but, but finally it was it was just too much work in the last tour, Divine Intervention. So mm-hmm. we uh, you know we we did a reel of her hits, uh, right. a tribute, and uh, told the story of how. She she would be here, but uh, she was swimming to London for an engagement, and she didn't put her contact lenses in, and she hit an iceberg and sank to the bottom. Right, right. I remember. Yeah. Well, I would. Yeah. yeah I, that that was the tour I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. True. Well, uh, so of course, Mark, my producer, and I, we have been passing a lot of the pandemic uh, watching stuff, and both of us recently watched the fabulous Alan Carr uh, movie. Oh, yeah. And uh, you were you were in it quite a bit. Uh, I, t- talking. I kind of narrated it. Seems. Yeah, 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 yeah. You I did. Mean, I'm all over the joint with that yeah. movie. Uh, you know, I actually turned Mark on to watching it because Mark Mark's a lot younger than um, than I am, and and a bit younger than you are. Uh, uh, so 
He, Shocked to hear that. He was not aware of the opening a segment from the Academy Awards with Snow White and Rob Lowe. So wow. um, can you, were you involved, you, you were, you commented on it in the film. Did you, you didn't write that part, did you? No, that okay. was, it, was, it was the first Oscar show that I formally wrote with okay. my name on it and all that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, so I was the head writer, but Alan imported that number from San Francisco, from Beach Blanket, uh, Babylon. Oh, uh, wow. Mm-hmm. Which was uh, at the at club? Are you up? You're in San Francisco, got you guys, right? I'm in. Well, I'm in Palm Springs, but of course, I oh, saw. I, I, I oh. saw. I, I saw Beach Blanket a million times. Uh, well, it was and, a big San Francisco institution, yeah. and he imported that whole number down to uh, to L.A. And uh-huh. uh, so that was the one part of the show I had. I had nothing to do with except to say, "This is not a great idea." <laughs> but oh, did you? I, okay. Well, because it's. It's a great idea when you're in San Francisco in their theater, but uh, to have Snow White, this unknown person, uh, up there with uh, in the audience with stars, yes. it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And the other problem was, uh, you know, Alan had uh, he lived in a kind of a fantasy world, and in his fantasy world, all of the great stars of the Golden Age who were still alive were in the same condition they were in during the Golden Age. Sure. And so nobody was, uh, you know, nobody wanted to see Dorothy L'Amour being carried around the stage by two guys, you know, uh, under her armpits being dragged around. And yeah. they didn't look the way they, they you remembered them and they didn't behave the way you remembered them. A couple of did. Sid Charisse and Tony Martin looked great. And Roy Rogers and Dale Evans looked as good as you could expect them to look. But it was just generally, it looked like the kind of, the, like you'd gone to visit the Crypt Keeper. It was, it was ghoulish. I, yeah, I, I, there, yeah. was, there was Merv Griffin singing, I got a lovely bunch of coconuts. And mm-hmm. uh, only people who knew what that meant, the coconut grove and all that, knew what right. was going on. So I did not think it was a great idea. Uh, actually, something that was cut from it would have been pretty great. Uh, and I don't know why he cut it because it was too long. He had the, the Nicholas brothers who were the two fabulous tap dancers um, doing a routine and they were in their seventies and eighties and they were brilliant. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were, they were uh, sung a song by Maya Bialik, who at the time was the girl who played bet in beaches mm-hmm. as a little girl. And right. that was the, that was the year of beaches. I think. Oh, oh, or the okay. year after it was the year after Beaches. Uh-huh. So um and that got cut. But um there a whole reason that the thing achieved the notoriety it did was because of Rob Lowe and Snow White. Uh uh first Dis- the head of Disney, who's now dead, Frank Wells, mm-hmm. initiated the lawsuit because uh, for another reason altogether, it had nothing to do with with the sh- with the show. But the Rob Lowe Snow White part, uh, two weeks after the show aired, a Rob Lowe sex tape surfaced. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. With an underage girl at the Democratic convention in Atlanta, the mm-hmm. one where they nominated Dukakis. Right. And at, whenever that w- that was referenced, whenever it would be shown on TV, they'd say Rob Lowe, who most recently made uh-huh. headlines dancing with Snow White. At the, which provoked a lawsuit from Walt Disney. So right, right. It, it just when it had died down, it came back again. And then it lived forever uh, because of Rob, Rob and his uh, misbehaving. <laughs> 
I thought it was because a bunch of stars were so mortified by the whole thing that they wrote a letter to the Academy. Yeah, that happened, but that all went away uh-huh. after a couple of days. I mean, a lot of people were mad at Alan because he wouldn't put them on the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and they were kind of cajoled by Frank Wells to mm-hmm. to take action because he he was suing and he had a, and his lawsuit was groundless. Mm-hmm. But the Academy couldn't go into court with him because he was defending his trademark, which did not exist on Snow right. White. Oh. He had no trademark on Snow right. White. Uh, nobody does. Snow White's in the public domain. So, Oh, really? But it's, a, it's a fairy tale. Oh, yeah. um, that's true. I guess. I, I guess it's. Um, it's so intense. There's a Snow White coffee shop on Hollywood Boulevard around the corner from me. It's been there for fifty years. It's so linked in my head as a Disney thing that. I, yeah, you're right. It's been a long, around yeah, a long. The yeah, look, yeah. the look. Yeah. You can't mm-hmm. copy the exact look, and we didn't. Mm-hmm. If you put them side by side, and the important other thing to know is that Disney cleared the thing. Mm-hmm. We went to Disney and asked them, and Disney cleared it. And ABC cleared. Everybody cleared it. So here, here he comes. He was annoyed. He was pissed off because of another of another issue he was having with the mm-hmm. Academy. Oh well. So I, I have two questions for you. The first yeah. question is: the first question is, do you think cocaine was involved? Um, that's actually a facetious question. Never mind. Oh. And second of all, do you think that that really was what ended Alan Carr's career? Was that? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because uh, uh, as I've said many times, uh, probably in that movie, mm-hmm. all the producer has is his taste. Okay. And when his taste is invalidated on a colossal scale, mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 a it's a real wound. And Alan never recovered from it because his whole persona and his his whole stature in the town and his mind was tied into that. Mm-hmm. And and when he was rejected so soundly and by a, a lot of his old what, mm-hmm. who we thought were his old friends writing mm-hmm. a letter saying we, we we don't like the way you did it mm-hmm. uh, that really that kind of did him he never really recovered from that mm. okay. uh, I mean I don't think that's what uh, he he got a kind of cancer uh, that was not AIDS but it was some mm-hmm. other, another kind of cancer that I don't think that had anything to do with it but uh, mm-hmm. uh, he was already so totally demoralized. Right. That he had he had no fight left in him. Uh, well, I'm I'm sorry to keep uh, focusing on this amazing movie, but had had you I ever have, been had you ever been to his house into that underground discotheque? Oh my God, yes, a lot of times. Oh wow, uh, we were friends. You know, we were friends mm-hmm. long before uh, the Oscar show. Uh, the mm-hmm. Bella Darby Bar, it was called. Mm-hmm. Bella Darby was a, was a very exotic actress who was Daryl Zanuck's girlfriend, and he mm-hmm. put her in a lot of movies, usually in uh, harem pants. Or mm-hmm. you know, jungle drag, and he uh, and she didn't. She never made it, mm-hmm. uh, and they broke up. And she she married somebody else. And the interesting thing was, she was not Bella Darby was not her name. She was a Polish girl. She had an incredible story. She had escaped, I think, Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she was in the Polish resistance. Uh, he met her years later when she was living in Paris, and they took up with each other. But that was a better, I mean, if she could have told that story, but no, you know, he turned her, he wanted her to be Hedy Lamar. He wanted her to be this exotic, uh, I don't know, Tahitian goddess. Anyway, right. she was in a lot of Egyptian movies. And uh-huh. so Alan, of course, named the thing ironically after, after uh-huh. her. But right. it was, it was like, a, you know, a, an Egyptian disco. It was like be going inside the pyramids, only uh, they were playing Donna Summer. 
<laughs> oh my god, amazing! Well, it just seems like a it's a Hollywood that's not there anymore. That's why I'm kind of fascinated by it. That, well, the characters. house the house is there, and the bar is there, and the house is occupied now by Brett Ratner. Oh, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember hearing that in and the movie so or something. It's kind of like I said, in, uh, like the Continental Baths became Plato's Retreat. It's kind of like it's that like that's happened. Like the straightest bar and the gayest bar in town became the straightest bar in town. Yeah, and well, right now there's this fabulous old hotel here in Palm Springs, uh, like a like mid-century modern. It's, it's turning into Margaritaville, you know. So, oh, are they really doing that there? Yes, yes. The do, do you know the Riviera? Yeah, I stayed there a bunch of times because yeah, we I did a benefit last year for Equality California. And uh, yeah, they're changing it into a, to a Margaritaville. I'm I'm so mortified. Well, well. It yeah. was uh, it, it was like they they re, they had fluffed it up so it looked really rat packy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were a lot. It was fun. It was it, it was always had great bones that place. But, it uh, did. Uh, well, speaking of you uh, being at the Riviera last where, last year, so what, one thing about you is that you're always game to appear. I, I, you know, you you appeared for me for this fundraiser for uh, Donna Sachet, the roast of Donna Sachet. Oh, I love Donna. Uh, and benefits are us. You know. Yes, all, yes. So I mean, are are you are you thinking about you know me being a live performer? I'm not. I, the spring is canceled, but I'm I'm planning everything for the fall of 2021. Do you have any plans to go on the road in front of? live audiences uh, well i have a date in lauderdale uh next thanksgiving weekend next weekend that's the first thing uh-huh. and i may i may go to uh, miami beach pride in may mm-hmm. i'm not sure yet we'll see you know if i've gotten jabbed and, and everything has been, has been okay we, we did a, a virtual miami beach pride a few weeks ago yes uh, which was fun mm-hmm. but uh uh i'll see but i have i have no plans to go anywhere you know i really no. No, I know. Yeah, like I, I've done, a, I've done a ton of virtual stuff, but um, I, I'm, I'm also waiting for the jab. Have you been, have you been um, a good boy during lockdown? Have you completely? I mean, yeah. well, it's you know given me pause. I mean, because you, we're just you know, I haven't worn pants five times since March 12th. I've worn <laughs> yeah. actually five times, once with a belt, and that mm. was to go out to an upscale outdoor dining experience. But uh, I've been on, on my own kind of lockdown, so that has kind of uh, uh, it's kind of kept me from hunting. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but I, there are a few people who I know who uh, who I who I see, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and I, I we know each other's status and all that. So you know, I'm not exactly living in the cock-free zone, right? But, it, but it's it, not it's not the way it was, and I. Probably my accountant said, ooh, you're spending so much less this year than you did last. <laughs> <laughs> and I let that pass. You yeah, know, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, yeah. I, well, I, I recently ordered a glory, I, I recently ordered a glory hole that's supposed to be arriving, um, like, next week, a portable glory hole, because that's, that apparently is, is safe sex now. Oh, I see. So, but as I've always, as I said to people, you know, come over and wear a mask and I'll never mm-hmm. be close to you. I won't be close enough to you to bother you. Exactly. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, 
Apparently, and it won't and, be anywhere near you. So anywhere yeah. near that part of your body. Now, Mark, is this not true? The CDC recommended glory holes. Well, the CDC hasn't really said that. Many um, state and city health authorities, like the city of San Francisco and New York, both suggested that glory holes were harm reduction because you could create a barrier that would at least stop some of the aerial transmission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah. nothing, you know, it's aerial transmission, so it, it nothing is perfect yeah so so i i have yeah i have a portable glory hole coming in the mail so i'm very excited about it and this whole this whole thing does kind of remind me of the uh the epidemic in the 80s you know like you know you're 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 talking well i mean you're 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 talking i'm I'm just picturing what happens when somebody comes over and how you have to adjust the height for the individual who comes over oh the glory hole like you might have to put the glory hole on a pile of books for some people Oh well, I had not. I had not other, thought about you might that. have you yeah. might have to hang it from the ceiling for some other people. Uh, <laughs> well, I think that I think that's a sketch. Too bad Rosie isn't doing that gay comedy show anymore on uh, <laughs> on MTV. <laughs> well, well, the uh, you know dirty bookstores are are out because you have to go out of your house to do that, and yeah. also you don't want to put your mouth up to a hole that a thousand other people have been near. So. Yeah, this is the new thing, and and it is it is very strange. You know, back in the eighties, we were making jokes about covering your whole body in latex, and and now, yeah. um, and and we were saying the kisses were safe, and and you know all that stuff. But anyway, it's uh, it is a bit surreal right now. Uh, so, is there anything in development you can tell us about that you're working on during the quarantine? You know, there isn't. I mean, uh, there are a few things, but I can't talk about them. I got okay. nothing. I got nothing to plug. What about yeah. sign? What What about a sign of the times? Of the musical. Well, I'm no longer involved with that. Oh, uh, uh, I I left that uh, over creative differences. The producer was getting creative, and it was making a difference. <laughs> <laughs> okay that's uh, that's the best way that somebody's ever put that before <laughs> so i i i and very happily i got you know uh, i'm well well compensated and i hope they have a huge hit because i have a piece of it and mm-hmm. uh, you know passive income is the, my new religion mm-hmm. so i think that uh uh but i but i have been away from it for a year and shortly after I mean, not all, not a year, but shortly after we parted company, Trump virus hit. So nothing oh. had happened, and, and he's off developing it uh, uh, with another guy, with another writer, with somebody else himself, basically. But uh, okay, but I but I did love. I I felt bad for Petula that uh, that she got dragged into the Nashville bombing oh. because. Because yeah. one of the great things about that show, that Petula has nothing to do with it, with the uh-huh. of the Times. But I had done some benefits with her. And so uh, I went to see her when she did a tour. And I brought the producer because he was desperate to meet her. And uh, uh, and she's a great she's a great woman. She's a, I mean, she's 85 years old. And she, she uh, uh, rented a bus from Dolly Parton. And goes around the country and did like 18 tour dates. She does 90 minutes and she never sits down. I couldn't do 90 minutes without sitting down. Oh, wow. And she sings, you know, she changes behind a, a wardrobe, uh, you know, uh, mask. Uh, and I mean, she's she's indomitable and she's, she sounds great. She really, she still has her belt. And uh, anyway, so, so along comes this, this 
schmuck who blows up Nashville and ironically plays her song while he's doing it, right? Oh, uh, downtown, I didn't... the lights are bright downtown. And uh, uh, so she, of course, had to uh, issue a statement. Oh, poor Petula. Uh, she, well, you know, she's sitting in Switzerland saying, that's it, I'm done. And then mm-hmm. they, they dragged her back in. Mm. Oh, that, anyway. I wish I wish somebody would do that to Shirley Bassey. I I, I want her to uh to, to, to perform live again. She's another anyway. one. She also sits in Switzerland. Oh, is she in Switzerland? I, she's in Switzerland. Uh, no, she's in Monaco. Pardon me. She was in Switzerland. She oh, moved, she switched, she's in Monaco. The biggest regret of my life is missing her when she was in San Francisco at Davies Symphony Hall. Mm. I, I I thought she would come through again, but she never did. Um <laughs> So yeah, don't give up. Uh, don't give up. She may, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She so loves to work. <laughs> she, she, she loves to work. Tell me about your. I'm. I'm assuming your love affair with the Castor Theater in San Francisco. Yeah, it's a it's a, a fabulous invalid. I mean, it's a it's a dump. But I kind of uh, I always went to when I was up there. When I would go to the movies there all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Usually during the day because I was up there involved with some kind of a show, uh, but it was it was a kind of place. Uh, it was very San Francisco. You know, we would get stoned and we would go see see some old Hollywood movie and and laugh and shriek and carry on. Mm-hmm. And you know, people would say, "Would you mind? This is a Holocaust picture. Stop laughing." So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, actually, I, yeah, it, was, it wasn't that bad. But you know, a lot of those the great old dramas that uh, that. We're, we're kind of like uh, overacted. Mm-hmm. We used to enjoy a lot. And the crappy science fiction movies. And, and then, of course, it became uh, a revival house. And Mark Bestis was programming it so brilliantly. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. And, and he started asking me to come up and do those interviews with uh, with divas. He so lives I, here now, actually. He's. I know. I see. Yeah. I'm, I'm, we're on Facebook. I get pictures of the house and all of I'm, that. I'm going to his house on Monday to help him pick his orange tree. All right. One thing I remember is that you have an amazing memory for, well, movie lines. And one time I said, uh, I said the line, uh, I was driving you to your hotel and I said, who is she? Who was she? And you started talking about boys in the band. Who does she hope to be? Exactly. (laughs) Did you happen to catch the remake? I did. What did you think? Well, um, what what did I think? I mean, I, Ryan Murphy's a friend, and I like it, and I like that he's uh, that he brought it back, and mm-hmm. uh, it works, you know. And this, that second act is incredible, even if you don't like the notion of all of those uh, self hating queens. Uh, it does; it has a certain kind of a drama to it. But I thought I, I felt there were some strange miscastings, and uh, um, you know, I mean, I could go on. I mean, Jim Parsons is not that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that guy is a very New York kind of queen. He was Mark Crowley writing himself, mm-hmm. and he was not a hick from Alabama or whatever they made him into. In this thing. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and no matter what you do to him, Zach Quinto is not a uh, pockmarked Jew fairy. Right. Uh, you know, he's hot. Mm-hmm. And I also, it never occurred to me that Emery would be Hispanic. I don't think in 1968 Emery would be Hispanic. They wouldn't have a Hispanic guy in their circle back then. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the whole idea of Emery's um, 
bonding with the with the black character is as as uh, the, as the, the Parsons character says in a speech is the only reason you're friends with him is because uh, he uh, to the black guy says the only reason you're friends with Emery is because he's lower than you are. Oh, <laughs> uh huh. Yes. Uh, which which was a, a very telling remark in 1968. Right. And uh, uh, but they and they changed it. And it uh, to me, it got hollow. But you know, I did the boys in the band uh, once in Summerstock, and I did it in. Um, uh, we did a benefit of it. I got to play Emery the first time, and I got to play Harold the second time. Mm-hmm. And I know the thing by heart, and I knew Mart. So, uh, so it was. Uh, uh, for me, it was like it was a noble effort. And what's interesting is that uh, uh, the younger generations who would not been exposed to it uh, seem to say, you know, why are people saying it's it's antique? Those guys are still around. Yeah. You know, and there is still it, it's a different kind of self-loathing. But the self-loathing is still there. I mean, just because we we can get married and just because we are in the mainstream doesn't mean that the stuff that happens to us when we're kids uh, goes away. Now, I suspect that people who were little kids now, gay people who are growing up, will not necessarily have that same experience because their parents will be hipper. Yeah. But I will probably will not be around to see the result of that. But uh, there will always be people who grow up in circumstances where, because of religious bigotry, it's a bad thing to be gay. Sure. That's and never that, going to go away. That's not going to go away. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Now, I think that there should be a a, a movie or a game started called Six Degrees of Bruce Valanche. Because, <laughs> because everybody that I've brought up, everything I've mentioned today in this podcast, you know somebody. Like, uh-huh. do you know, is it fair to say you know everybody in Hollywood? Well, not everybody. Not everybody. I've met most of them. I mean, I don't know reality show stars. I don't know. I don't know rappers. Uh uh, You know, hip hoppers. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I don't know Lil Kim from Lil Nas from Lil Abner. I mean, Uh I I just Lil Abner I knew, but I don't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, Because it's not they don't cross my path a whole lot. Although right, I, right, know, right. I know a few, I know some, but I don't know. So, and, and you know, that's so much of everybody now. One of the interesting things about uh, uh, the virus and the pandemic is that uh, the red carpet's gone away, and so the only celebrities who are really left, the celebrity machinery, has to be focused on reality TV stars because mm-hmm. they're the only ones who are around. Right. Right. Yeah. And they're going out and they're shooting their shows and all that. None of those great big events where where movie stars show up are happening anymore. Yeah, everything is virtual. So, but this will shake out in the next year. This too shall pass. Um, well, I, I I just know that I could go. I could ask you a million gossip questions, and it would be so, so much fun. But this podcast is only so long. I want to say thank you so much, Bruce Valanche, for coming on Drag Time with Hecklina. You're so welcome. Is it's there really nothing for you to plug? Uh, yeah. <laughs> there is one thing. I'm, okay. I'm waiting for Amazon to deliver those. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's good. Well, you are always a delight, and um, you really should start your own Six Degrees of Bruce Valanche podcast. I swear to God. Why not? Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, we. 
thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out from your sure. busy your busy quarantine schedule, I'm sure. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Hecklina. If you love us, please show your love. Subscribe to the show, like us, rate us, and please tell anybody you can about Drag Time with Hecklina. Once again, thank you, Mark, and thank you, Bruce Valanche. My pleasure. See you soon. See you All soon. Right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>